Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome, everybody. It has been a little while since we have been on the podcast. We were really busy doing a festival in February, and now we're catching up with some brand new episodes of the Indie Reads Aloud podcast. Today is episode number 81. I'm so excited. Uh, Season two. We are going to be hearing from a brand new to me author, Lisa Wilkes. She comes all the way from Florida, and I'm so excited to introduce you to her. Welcome to the program, Lisa. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. It's so exciting to meet new authors. Um, So today, just before we begin, I want to make sure our listeners understand there is a listener advisory with today's podcast episode. There will be some strong language and mature situations. So if you have little ears nearby listening, you might want to preview this episode before you share it with them. Lisa Wilkes has spent 13 years as a flight attendant, jutting across the globe and collecting inspiration for her writings. She wrote her first book at age eight. Full disclosure, it was 68 pages about a lost kitty cat, handwritten in a spiral notebook. And it was not exactly a literary masterpiece. It did, however, inspire a lifelong passion. She's been creating deeply emotional, wildly empowering stories ever since then. Lisa's writing is provocative and timely with a focus on societal issues and powerful internal conflict. Conflict. Her readers appreciate the emphasis on hope and redemption in her books, and many are drawn to her power of storytelling. By the way, Lisa also supports local animal shelters with an Etsy shop to help reduce the euthanasia rate in her home state of Florida. So if you get an opportunity, check out the show notes. Her website is in the show notes, and you can jump to her Etsy page from there. I looked at it daily and it's super fun. So you might want to do that. We all, we love animals on this program. So anything we can do to help them, we're pleased to do it. Welcome again. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah, this is super exciting. Thank you. So the book you're going to read today is Mid-Flight. It is Mm -hmm. a dystopian science fiction romance. I'm curious where you got the idea to combine these three genres, because usually they're, I've seen two combined, but not usually all three. It's not a prevalent combination. So I'm wondering what got you started to to do this mashup? 
That is a great question. It was actually supposed to be a romance. I have a lot more experience writing romance novels. And I think just the way that life evolved during the time frame where I wrote it. So I wrote it in 2019. I was getting my master's in social work. I was uh, doing an internship in the behavioral health unit of a hospital. Um, so I saw a lot of societal injustices like displayed before me through these people that had been deeply affected and traumatized by a lot of things that had been done to them. And so I knew when I started writing this book, I knew that it was going to have basically a social conscience. I wanted to address issues that what I thought a romance novel, you know, typically would shy away from. I thought I want to be sure to talk about mental health. I want to be sure to talk about how resources aren't always distributed evenly and how it's a lot harder for certain people to get, um, you know, the care and attention that they need. Sure. But then we transitioned into 2020 and I started realizing, I think there were a lot of, a lot of news events that kind of came to light in 2020. And I started realizing that the quest for equality is nothing new. It's nothing new. And I keep, I keep remembering, um, all these times in 2020, when I would say to myself, why are we still here? It's 2020. And that's when I had the idea, if I write this in the future, it's even more powerful because it's showing that if we don't make progress and if we don't really take steps toward embracing and accepting and enjoying the diversity that makes us human, then we're headed for something really dismal. And I wanted to capture also, I wanted to capture um, the sentiment that everyday people um, can make a difference within their own sphere of influence and within their community. Because, you know, especially during 2020 with the lockdowns and everything, I felt so powerless. I'm seeing all these horrific things happening and, you know, I couldn't really venture outside. And I just thought, what, I'm a flight attendant. I'm a flight attendant trying to get a master's degree. Like, what can I possibly do? And I had launched a website um, to basically give resources and information to people that needed it most back when we lived in Texas. And so there's always something that you can do. And I really needed this book to kind of capture that. And my goal is to make people feel valued and appreciated as they are. And it's also to inspire people to action. And if I succeed in either of those areas, then this book has served its purpose. That's absolutely extraordinary i love authors who take the time to mix purpose with passion and it really sounds to me like that's definitely what you're doing here i do not have a problem with being overly passionate i would say <laughs> that's that right. that's we like of, that on this program <laughs> kind of what i'm known for <laughs> absolutely So I'm just going to read a little bit um, from the back cover matter of your book, and then we'll have you read. How does that sound? Sounds great. Excellent. So this book is called Mid-Flight. She failed to save her brother and her best friend from destructive forces. Could she topple the most sinister villain of all time? 2037 was a really bad year. Lexi Brennan's best friend was killed in a plane crash. Two weeks later, an intergalactic crisis threatened the fate of humanity. Authorities responded by launching a genocide. Lexi opposed this vicious attack, but then again, what could she do? 
An eccentric, an eccentric flight. See, Diana, not. I haven't been doing the podcast for a while, so Tom kite. I think um, you're doing great. <laughs> an eccentric flight attendant drawn to glamorous trysts. She felt powerless to incite change until tragedy struck close to home. Suddenly, Lexi was forced to acknowledge the widespread atrocities. She uncovered a network of lies along with an opportunity to restore basic human rights to protect others. Lexi would have to launch a movement that could destroy everything important to her, including her promising new romance. Okay. I just got goosebumps, just in case you wanted to know. This oh, sounds like a, compliment. a really <laughs> wonderful story. I'm, I'm so excited to have you read. Um, please, when you are ready, Lisa, take the microphone and read aloud. Great. Thank you. <clears throat> Something's happening, the guy said breath breathlessly. Are you seeing this? Another absurd press conference? He shook his head. This is different. It's bad. The predictions were wrong. The meteor shower, you mean? Lexi pulled her phone from her pocket. A single ocular swipe turned on auto scan and a thousand notifications came flooding in. She blinked as the messages scrawled across her cornea, one after the next. There were too many. She couldn't keep up. Her first concern was her brother's safety. Auto scan. Colin Brennan, she screamed internally, summoning the faint electrodes that routinely scanned her scalp for, for impulses. Where are you? Are you safe? Lexi sent the message with a double blink. The virtual alarms had mentioned Baltimore, Seattle, and a few other cities, but Lexi hadn't seen anything about San Francisco or Sacramento. She bit her lip, waiting for a response from her brother. Autoscan, Colin Brennan, I'm worried, kid, call me. No answer. Wordlessly, Lexi grabbed her purse and darted for the exit. She needed to see it. She had to know for sure. The midnight sky was pierced by jagged red veins. A thousand burgundy fingers tore through the stratosphere like lightning etched in the wrong color. Puffs of smoke dotted the horizon, mushroom clouds rising up toward the ominous red ether. From the descriptions and images in Lexi's virtual alarms, it appeared Santa Fe had gotten off easy. Other cities looked like they'd been struck by an atomic bomb. The world was blazing. The sky was breaking apart in pieces. Autoscan, Jorge Rodriguez, I didn't see your text till just now. They're grounding all planes immediately? Scary stuff. Wish I was there with you. When, where is your plane landing? With a rapid fire double blink, Lexi sent the message. Jorge's response flitted across Lexi's cornea. His words felt frantic. Can't get down. Capitol Hill is burning. Dense population. Nowhere to land. Nine, 80 miles from Dulles Airport. I don't think we'll make it. Lexi read the last sentence and crumbled. She fell to her knees on the hot New Mexico concrete, sirens blaring in the distance and meters crashing to the ground with a fiery scarlet vengeance. No, she begged the universe, please, no. Her vision blurred. Lexi ached to rip her skin off her body, inch by inch, melting into a heap of exposed veins. It was so enticing. It was what she deserved, truly. She should have been on that airplane with Jorge. Self-reproval spun through her mind on an endless loop. Should have, should have, should have, you piece of shit. She gasped for air. Autoscan, Colin Brennan, dial right now, she instructed, calling her brother via electrical impulses connected to her cranium. Five beeps sounded in her ear, then the line went dead. Tears rolled down Lexi's cheeks as she mentally composed another note to her best friend at Skyline Airways. Autoscan, Jorge Rodriguez, don't talk that way. You'll land safely. Reagan International probably has space for diverted aircraft. You'll be fine, I promise. As she waited for Jorge's reply, she dug her nails into her leg, reopening the wound on her thigh. 
She picked at it, forcing the gash to widen. It was the size of a dime, then a quarter. She kept pulling, peeling, exposing her insides. She wanted her entire soul to leak out. Don't leave me, Jorge, she whispered. Don't you dare leave me. Colin tried to leave all the time. Lexi couldn't handle another loss. She needed Jorge. He was her partner in crime, her other half. He was the best thing about being a flight attendant. Words appeared in front of Lexi's eyeball. Her chest tightened. I don't think we, Jorge began. What? Lexi murmured aloud. Her hands fell to her sides, limp. What is it, JR? Lexi craned her neck toward the red streak sky. She shouted, pleaded, implored her buddy bitter to write back. She wanted to hear details about his safe landing after the pilots found an open runway someplace in Maryland or perhaps Delaware. Arms clasped, clasped around Lexi's waist, dragging her back into the restaurant. She kicked and screamed, fighting to stay outside. She wanted the sky to collapse on her and drag her into the deep black unknown. She didn't deserve the safety of four walls and a roof. She didn't deserve to be in a city that had received minimal damage from the celestial hellfire. Lexi began to chuckle as she was forced back inside the restaurant. She could barely breathe from laughing so hard. Through narrowed eyelids, Lexi saw customers and staff staring at her in disbelief. She continued flailing her limbs. She laughed with all her might, a deep guttural guffaw that echoed throughout the bar. When a virtual alarm informed Lexi that two planes in the Northeast had been struck down, she was convinced she'd dreamt the whole thing. The aircraft she was supposed to be on that night had not burst into flames, no way, no how. Jorge was not dead. Lexi would wake up soon, she knew. She would call him. They'd talk about her silly nightmare, her tendency to imagine the worst possible scenario, her bizarre fear of erupting into laughter during a moment of crisis. Lexi would wake up and chat with Jorge for hours, and she would not swap out of their next scheduled airline trip. Then we have a shift in perspective. Jason Bresline was finishing a soggy cheesesteak when his armband lit up with an urgent alert. Employee, 89348, repairs needed for SK949, landing in one minute, 14 inch hole in the fuselage above forward galley, smoke reported. What the? Jason stumbled backward, nearly knocking his chair into the makeshift kitchen counter. There were no Skyline flights scheduled to arrive in Nashville for half an hour. Letters on his arms on his arm shifted, displaying an additional, additional information about the mystery aircraft. SK949 follow-up report, structural damage severe, hole in galley floor, Pilots believe object is lodged in cargo compartment. No known injuries. Additional repairs needed on six planes landing before 22.30. More information to follow. A splash of color flooded his peripheral vision. Jason turned to the west side of the break room as neon letters materialized on the wall. A nanoscreen had sprung to life, illuminating the chipped paint with its ominous crimson warning. Emergency procedures activated. Skyline Airways unplanned landings in Nashville. SKY 9119, tail number 949, one minute. SKY 2654, tail number 7117, three minutes. SKY 573, tail number 332, four minutes. Jason's armband synced with the countdown on the wall, tracking the arrival of flight 9119. He stared at the numbers, assuming there had been a system-wide malfunction. Had a nanoscreen at headquarters imploded? Maybe the system had been hacked? Everyone at corporate swore up and down that Skyline's tech systems were untouchable, that hired the best and brightest minds in the world to ensure there would be no meltdowns, no fatal mishaps. But just a few years ago, Defender Tech had hacked its way into top secret documents belonging to the world's most ruthless despot. So anything was possible, really. Hackers held all the cards. No person or business was ever bulletproof. 59 seconds from touchdown, 58, 57, 56, the nanoscreen switched to an alert issued by the Department of Transportation. All public transport had been halted, effective immediately. 
People were advised to take shelter until further notice. Jason couldn't make sense of these directives. What had changed since he'd ordered a sandwich at the food court? 25 minutes ago, everything had been routine, calm, predictable. He yanked his phone from his pocket so hard that he nearly dropped it. With a flick of his eye, he activated autoscan. Skyline's executives could trace this activity if they chose to do so. That see Jason had turned on the restricted, fun restriction restricted function during his shift. Right now, that didn't matter. He needed to know what the hell was happening. Once autoscan was activated, messages rolled in at an impossible speed. Horrific descriptions sped across Jason's cornea. The meters had veered off course. Astrophysicists claimed it was an anomaly, some type of gravitational glitch that defied science. Jason shook his head. How is this even possible? How does gravity just fail? The meteors, which were not supposed to penetrate the Earth, Earth's atmosphere, had done exactly that. Even worse, they'd split apart in the process. Oversized space bullets, threatening enough in their original form, had become deadly cosmic buckshot. Thousands of sharp fragments had pummeled major cities, and the hits kept coming. Splintered meteors continued to decimate everything in their path. The world was smoldering. A grim voice echoed through the break room, startling Jason. Essential staff report to base leaders. Do not leave the airport unless advised. Lockdown initiated. Hazardous conditions outside. Stand by for updates. Jason glanced down at his armband. The letters rearranged themselves, issuing new instructions. Flight 9119 has landed without incident. Report to management before proceeding to SK-949. Jason called Talia during his quick jog to the mechanics meeting room. Come on, pick up, he murmured as her phone rang. Five beeps sounded in his ear, then nothing. Maybe she'd gone to work early, Jason reasoned. Talia's emergency room shift didn't start until 11 o'clock, but they probably needed extra help. After all, the night had taken a shitty turn fast. But he was puzzled by the fact that Talia hadn't texted him. The world was on fire. Where was his fiance? A message floated past his cornea. Can't talk. Bella's home safe. She's in the master bathroom. ER's full. All hands on deck. See you tomorrow. Jason breathed a sigh of relief at Talia's update. She was okay, busy saving lives as usual. Thankfully, she'd placed Vela in the safest room in the apartment. Still, Jason ached at the thought of his dog all alone, scared and whimpering on the checkered bathroom tile. He silently promised his pup he'd be home soon. Inhaling sharply, Jason composed one more text, this time to his parents in Denver. He wasn't worried about their safety. They'd stay vigilant. They would protect themselves, he knew. His mom, a retired airbird engineer, was nothing if not level-headed and thorough should know exactly what to do in a crisis. Deborah Bresline wouldn't take any chances. With a double blink, Jason sent the message. Then he deactivated autoscan, sucked in a deep breath of air, and entered the conference room. He was the youngest mechanic there by about a decade. He was also the least rattled, which really surprised him. A few guys in the corner spoke in hushed voices, their heads tilted down. One was sweating profusely, dark rings soaking through his gray jumpsuit. Shelly, the most senior female mechanic in Nashville, was staring blankly ahead. Even from across the room, Jason could see tears pooling in her eyes. Rick, who had been with Skyline for nearly 20 years, lifted a cup of coffee to his lips with trembling fingers. Rick was a man of few words. He completed his work at breakneck speed, and he always remained calm and collected. No matter what general fuckery was occurring around him, his repairs were flawless. The guy worked well under pressure and had never admitted so much as a hint of insecurity, not that Jason had seen until that moment. While Jason watched, Rick lowered his coffee cup. His hand shook uncontrollably. A wave of black liquid cascaded over the cardboard rim. Rick grabbed a napkin to wipe at the spot and knocked over the whole damn cup. Expletives slipped from his mouth as he cleaned the soggy mess. The shift leader, Kyle, marched to the front of the room and cleared his throat. Everyone turned toward him. With his head slightly lowered, Kyle ran through the newest information he'd received from headquarters. 
He distributed tasks among the mechanics present and explained that those at home would be called in shortly. By the following morning, Skyline would have approximately 10 damaged aircraft parked in Nashville, perhaps more. Time would tell. Commercial airliners could be grounded indefinitely, depending on the government's directives. There was no way to predict that yet, Kyle warned. So Skyline wanted the planes in working order, as many of them as possible, even the ones with significant damage from meteoric activity. Kyle promised to upload supplementary material, materials to everyone's armbands within the next 15 minutes. He advised all employees to don perfect, protective equipment when venturing outdoors in case there were lingering cosmic incidents. The meteors appeared to be finished pummeling the planet, he reflected, but then again, nobody had expected their arrival in the first place. So in sum, all bets were off. Jason listened as best he could. Kyle's speech was punctuated by the rattle overhead as plane after plane touched down on Nashville's runways. The noise had become part of Jason's soul in recent years. He had learned to distinguish Skyline's airbirds from aircraft bearing other insignia. Each plane model had a unique rumble and echo all its own. Kyle paused, scanning his tablet for updates. He informed the group several aircraft wouldn't make it to Nashville. Instead, they were landing in Knoxville, Memphis, Huntsville, Chattanooga, and other nearby cities. Skyline might need assistance at outstations. If so, they'd ferry mechanics to those locations or use ground transportation. With a heavy sigh, Kyle petitioned his employees for patience. The days and weeks ahead would be a challenge, he admitted. The situation was dynamic. The extent of the meteor damage had yet to be seen. Jason swallowed. There had been no lesson on meteor repairs during his training sessions. This was uncharted territory. He, had, he was also the least experienced mechanic in the room. Still, he'd busted his ass to get there. He'd been the only black mechanic in his Skyline initial training class three years ago. He'd surpassed everyone's expectations, including his own, by transitioning to a major carrier at age 32. Captain Colleen Johnson's glowing recommendation had helped, he knew. Her words carried a lot of weight at Skyline. Ultimately, though, Jason had stood on his own merit. There had been hundreds of sleepless nights and painful sacrifices along the way. He'd scrambled to pay rent for years while earning a wildly inadequate wage at a regional airline. And he had accumulated a dozen awards in the process. Jason had even been featured in a nat national publication before signing on at Skyline. He could fix these damaged planes, he reminded himself. He'd figure it out like he'd done a thousand times before. In the past, Jason had devised some incredible solutions to wacky problems. He could do it again. SK-949 was probably in the hangar by now or close to it. He'd head over there and dive into the task at hand. He would fix whatever was broken. He'd find a way. Kyle ended the meeting, dispersing everyone to the unknown issues awaiting them in various hangars. Jason had almost reached the door to the tarmac when his armband lit up with an alert. Employee 89348, sensitive information, do not disclose. Jason pressed his thumb to the side of the device, confirming he understood the clandestine nature of the message. Meter struck SK-8474, flight 2434 over Annapolis, Maryland. Right engine exploded on impact, no survivors. Jason stopped in his tracks. The screen displayed five crew members' names. None of them sounded familiar, but that didn't matter. This was his airline. These were his people. Someone placed a hand on Jason's shoulder. He turned around to face Shelly, who was in worse shape than had ever seen her. The tears were no longer a discreet glint in the corner of her eye. Now they tumbled down her face steadily. Her eyes were bloodshot, two red ovals framing brilliant blue irises. Mascara coated her cheeks like a road map drawn in charcoal. I'm sorry, she mouthed, her words barely audible over the deafening roar of Jason's own heartbeat. He frowned. Then we lost a crew. Me too. Maybe Shelly had known one of the flight attendants or pilots. Maybe they'd been friends. She's the best, Jason, Shelly continued. One of a kind, a real legend. Jason blinked, unsure which crew member Shelly was referring to. His arm buzzed once more, and he stared at the screen in disbelief. Another Skyline plane had been obliterated, Flight 4339. 
this time over Olympia, Washington. Six employees had been killed. Colleen Johnson's name illuminated his screen, but Jason knew it was a mistake. That woman was invincible. She was a force to be reckoned with. Had just passed her in the airport a couple weeks back. After a quick hug, Colleen had shared that she'd been awarded the Denver base. She'd planned to move out there with her wife and youngest son. Her 50th birthday was coming up and she hoped to settle into Colorado before the big day. Colorado, that was where Jason and Colleen had met years ago, climbing the ranks at a commuter airline. Fate had brought them to Nashville a decade later with a different emblem on their uniforms and fate would not rip her away like this, Jason knew. It wasn't possible. He couldn't fathom a world vicious enough to slaughter the best damn captain at Skyline Airways. Not under these circumstances. Not on the eve of her 50th birthday with so much to look forward to. Colleen was a hero, a leader, and a trailblazer. Jason refused to accept that she was gone. Well done. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. Would you please hold up that book one more time so people watching the YouTube can see the cover. There it is, mid-flight. Very awesome. So I'm really curious. First of all, I've added you to my TBR. So I'm, I'm really, really curious about what your two things. What was your favorite thing to write? And what was your most challenging part about writing this book? I know that that's kind of the same question coming from opposite directions. Um, so the favorite part is harder and I have to think about that, but I have an answer right away for the okay. most challenging. <laughs> right. um, so the most challenging for sure. And, you know, I am, I am prepared to potentially um, receive like some less than favorable comments on this book. I'm prepared and I uh, do not have a big ego. I think that the publishing world had knocked that out of me if I ever sure. had one at any point. Um, so I want to learn from that and I want to grow and I want to do better. Um, but, you know, I'm writing about really sensitive topics in this book. They don't address it yet in the part that I read, but there's mental illness um, and there is racial injustice. And I, I, treaded, I wanted to tread lightly. I did not want to in any way make anyone feel that they were kind of like dismissed or invisible or that it wasn't portrayed correctly. Um, because I really, my goal with this book was not to add to any marginalization that exists in this world. My goal was to really kind of show people just these different perspectives and what people had gone through, you know, based on simple demographics and things right. that never should have been an issue. So I enlisted beta readers to read all the sensitive portions, like to make sure, okay, like, am I really downplaying this or not like explaining it correctly? I wanted to write this book with compassion, openness, and like kind of the drive to really make people think about the topics sure, at sure, hand. Yeah. And so if there is anything that I got wrong or anything that I did not portray correctly, um, you know, I'm, I welcome that feedback. I wanna do better, I wanna grow. Yep. I'm not defensive. Like I have a lot to learn. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, every, learn, so. every book we write informs the next book we write. Not yeah. Just, not just in story, but in craft as well. So you hit it right on the head. Beta readers, sensitivity readers are super, super important to that process. So important. So what was and your I, favorite um, part about writing? You know, I would you say. you have a favorite? I think so. Honestly, Lexi is like. She is so different. My first book that I wrote, the main character, I am a free-spirited hippie that loves animals. Like we have a lot of similarities, a yeah. lot. 
Um, the story's pure fiction, but there's so much of myself that I see in her. But this one, Lexi is just kind of a badass. Like, <laughs> I mean, she has her issues, but it was sure. really fun to think about all the like snarky little comments that I would make and all of mm. the um, kind of like, you know, the things that she says, she genuinely, she has her issues. Trust me, the book portrays those issues like in graphic detail, but she doesn't care what other people think about her. That is not an issue that she has. So it was okay. really fun to like hear her snippy like banter with people and to just kind of make her um, like a little bit more of like an aggressive person. I'm such a peacemaker. I'm a middle child. I'm like, oh my God, I think someone was mad at me six weeks ago. So let me not sleep all night <laughs> because there's a possibility that like someone had right. a beat, right? And Lexi is like, screw you like I'm here for this and we're either on the same page or we're not and if not bye like she has she's so I, unapologetic I cannot tell you how comforting it is to me as a novelist to hear you talking about your characters as if they are living breathing entities um because I that's something that I embrace in my writing as well um I think it's really fun when I get to talk to other authors and they talk about their characters as if they are friends or family um, or co-workers. I, I think it's really cool that that you are so connected to your characters that they have taken on lives of their own. I, th I think that's absolutely marvelous. I forget that they're not real. I was yeah. asked recently who I would be. I mean, I did write a science fiction book apparently because it takes place in the future and there's like a lot of wacky stuff that goes on but I'm not typically like I'm not super like I, I haven't delved too deep into science mm -hmm. fiction so I was asked recently who I would dress as if I were to go to comic-con and of course they meant like Harley Quinn or someone famous right, right. and I go oh Jorge for sure because he like I just picked a character from the book I'm like he has a crop top that's all kittens and like part of his hair is dyed pink like that is absolutely who I would be what fun. and they're like who <laughs> what <laughs> all right that's very cool wow um so I just want to ask one last question and then we have to wrap up for time but um this is your second published novel um what is the first one called Flight Path was the first okay. one. It was published in 2020. So I need to ask, can readers read Flight Path and Mid-Flight separately? Are they standalones with connected characters or should we read them in order? They have literally nothing in common except okay. the same fictional airline is where both flight attendants are employed. They've never met each other. Flight Path takes place in 2019. So the likelihood that the main character of that would even be in the industry still, or I don't sure, know. Sure. Like, in so this is in 2037. Yeah. 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 That's the only unifying factor in the books is Skyline Airways. That's it. That's awesome. That means I can start reading this right away and I don't have yeah. to wait for that other one. That's perfect. Now, one last <laughs> thing. Do you have another book in the works that we should be looking for in the future from you? Um, it's, in the works, but it's going to be, it's going to be a while. So I guess what I decided with Midflight is that um, I enjoy the challenge of writing in a new genre. I really thought after Flight Path, I'm just going to be a romance writer. And I loved that idea. Uh, but this one, I want to venture into parallel universes and well, other I'm, realms. 
Nice. So it's going to take me a while. I have a lot. I have a couple actually chemists because there's like a chemical compound that allows people to reach those other realms. So I have a few chemists that I've been like chatting with trying to get. So you have um, to do kinda, a little, a little bit, bit of, more. You have to do a little bit of scientific research to finish yes. the third book. That's awesome. Yes. That's I am not. Cool. I, I know about dogs, cats, and like traveling. <laughs> so this is all well outside of my wheelhouse, but it's That's a story about like love's ability to transcend all these different dimensions. The The scientific part is just kind of ancillary to the plot where you need nice. to have some basis in reality. Sure, sure. What fun. I can't wait to, to read this book. I think it's going to be super enjoyable. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm, you I'm are so welcome. I appreciate you having me you. here. Oh, this is so fun for me. I mean, I'm still that six-year-old who's sitting in the front row at story time at the library. So uh, I, I'm very so grateful cute. that you came to read <laughs> to me. That's very, very awesome. Thank you again for coming. And I hope you'll come back and read the other book for me. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> Have a wonderful you. afternoon. You too. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you are an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.